Welcome to Surviving Academia, a podcast about the wild world of the Academy. Each episode, like Tim Gunn, we talk about trying to make it work and share self-care techniques to make every day in academia a little more survivable. We are your didactic trio. My name's Zach, and I'm a hamster who's fallen off the tenure wheel and is trying to get back on. (laughs) Poor baby. I'm Kristen, and I'm allegedly dissertating. Allegedly. And I am Rachel, and I already dissertated, even though someone asked me today, do you still have to write that dissertation thing? And I almost cried. Oh. I know. Post, I got to post, wear the regalia, so I don't have to do it again, right? Post-traumatic dissertation disorder. It's a real thing. That's a thing. Yeah. It is a real thing. That's a, something for another episode. <laughs> so until we get official sponsors, we, of course, make up our own. So this is brought to you by that new eager student who keeps emailing you about the syllabus that you have not yet written, which serves as a daily reminder in your inbox that not only are you disappointing yourself, but you're also disappointing people you've not even met yet. Every semester, at least one. Right. I got I got an email for today for a student for just like there was a department wide email. For I did some too. list that I didn't know I had signed up on. I saw that too. And as somebody was asking about how to major, I was like, I don't know how to answer that. Run. I'm not prepared. Well, speaking of emails, when you do respond to those eager beaver little students, how about you tell them to visit our website at survivingacademiapodcast.com, like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter at survivingphd, and Instagram at survivingacademia. And hey, we're on Apple Podcasts and Google Podcasts, so you can like and subscribe there to hear more from us, the Didactic Trio, and please rate so uh, we get some more ratings and some more listeners. This is an excellent transition there, by the way. Speaking of emails, here's other media. I'm full of them. Oh, and hey, guys, if you want to hear like a specific topic on our podcast, go ahead and reach out, comment, um, tweet at us, email us, whatever you want. We'd love to get some uh, episode ideas. We're still new at this. And yeah, we'd love to hear from you. This episode is on anxiety. And my intention was to get people from all different levels to discuss their anxiety within the academy But it really became apparent as we talked to people that the roles changed so significantly that we really needed to um, look at each person's journey separately. Oh, that makes sense. Like I could see how I mean, the anxiety for me as a master's student was different to a Ph.D. student is different now. So and your different things are happening in your life as you're going through your academic journey. So, yeah, I can I can totally see that. Different for faculty, from graduate students, from administrators. Yeah, yeah. That, that makes sense. And it's different from year to year. So what was a stressor maybe for our our advisors or the people who are mentoring us is much different than the demands that much, most of us are doing now. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So I just want to do a quick anxiety check-in. So we're about to start a new year. How is everybody doing? I have to say my anxiety is high uh, because I feel... I've got a lot going on in my personal life at the same time that I, you know, I'm a relatively new postdoc, only like two months in. And so, yeah, my my anxiety is it's climbing steadily, you know, getting ready for things like a wedding and we just moved and the cat was sick for a while. So, yeah, my anxiety is at a pretty high level, though I have to say it's not dissertation high. So it feels manageable. Yeah, there's nothing quite like uh, the dissertation stress. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, what's anxiety? I don't I don't understand. I never have any of that. Are you free as a bird now that oh you guys God. are post dissertation? No, everything everything is just different. Like like we were saying, like everything all of the different are this all of the stressors are different. And I'll echo what Rachel said is, you know, I'm prepping for teaching at a new new institution in a new school year. And meanwhile, at home, I noticed one of my foundation walls is bulging, which is a very, very expensive fix and is stressing me out. And then today, my uh, my sewage, uh, my drainage line started backing up sewage. And so, mm, you know, all of these all of these professional uh, things that I'm trying to adapt to are compounded by little tiny, not so tiny, ma- very major uh anxiety inducing uh, problems in my personal life sounds like we maybe need to do an episode of work-life balance in the future oh, joke. yeah for yeah. real but what about you Kristen? how is what's your anxiety check-in um well i mean i'm dissertating so i feel like it's exceedingly high but it sounds like that's a stressor it sounds like i'm right where i need to be compared to what you guys are just saying <laughs> Have you cried yet today? I have not. Have there, but there's a, still time. Yeah, there's still several hours in the day for crying <laughs> and a panic panic attack. So, and I I know I'm laughing when I say that, but I mean that's that's the real that's the reality of some days while working on large projects like a dissertation or a book project where that deadline is looming. Yeah. So when I was a new graduate student. I didn't quite know that that was a thing for me. And so now I know that at least one time in the semester, I usually have a full scale meltdown that does involve tears and crying. But I always uh, I always overcome that. I always get past it. But usually it's like just letting all those emotions out at least once is like super helpful. Hmm. I don't think my dissertation ever made me cry, but it definitely gave me a full range of emotions. Would you admit that because, you know, masculinity? I would absolutely admit um, <laughs> to the things that make me cry. And they're usually Neil Young songs about war. <laughs> <laughs> or when somebody shares a very fond memory of a time that I can never get back, which, which happened recently. I moved on from graduate school to a new institution. And, you know, I had people, uh, I had a party and people wrote memories and put them on a board. And I, I cried because I was... You know, I was losing so many friendships by moving. Uh, but dissertation, it, it stokes a different range of emotions for me. Uh, teaching, uh, rejection from, from uh, you know, journals and stuff is, for me, more frustration than, than mm-hmm. I mean, I guess frustration leads to crying, but not, not for me. Does if you I'm not Rachel. afraid to cry. <laughs> That's good. I'm glad that your, your masculinity is not so fragile that you can't admit that to all of our thousands of listeners thousands thousands of people now know that or, or dozens more, more really. uh so i mean we talk about uh anxiety the anxiety of being in the academy but is it really like what makes the academy especially different is the academy especially different in terms of anxiety well i'm glad you asked so this is based on a study that I found in Nature Biotechnology, and it's current this year, so 2018, and it's by T.M. Evans et al., and they found that Ph.D. and master's students worldwide report rates of depression and anxiety that are six times higher than the general population. It's pretty wow. significant. Yeah. 
The report is based on a little over 2,000 responses by students in 26 nations, and they found that 40% of respondents had anxiety scores in the moderate to severe range. I don't, I don't want to take one of those uh, tests, one of those surveys, because I don't want to know how bad I actually have it. <laughs> wow. But that's, yeah, that's cr- six times higher than the, the general population. So that answers the second half of my question of like, is the academy really different and definitely more anxiety inducing than the sort than other sorts of uh, jobs or, or career fields? But why? So to give you just a little comparison before we move on, about 6% of the general population say that they are moderate to severely anxious, and about 39% of people in the academy or students in the academy said that. So do people that are more prone to anxiety end up in the academy, or does the academy induce anxiety? That's that chicken or the egg right there, Zachary. Well, I'm not really sure. I think that's still being debated, but I can tell you who's anxious. Me. Please. <laughs> Please. So in terms of people who are anxious, about 55% of trans students um, say that they have moderate or severe anxiety. 43% of female students and 34% of male students report feeling anxious. Who are those, six, who are those 66% of male students that aren't anxious? That's what I want to know. And you want to learn their ways? Well, yeah. Or they're probably not responding. I don't know. Well, they're like people are anxious for different things. So what makes I think in talking to women, what makes us anxious is much different than maybe a cisgendered heterosexual white man, Mm -hmm. obviously. Yeah. So what are they anxious about? This was kind of interesting to me. So when they asked what they were anxious about, the number one thing was, and you alluded to it earlier in the episode, work-life balance. Because work-life balance is associated with physical and mental well-being and little is known about the graduate training population in general, they asked respondents if they agreed that their work-life balance was good. So of the graduate students who experienced moderate to severe anxiety, 56% did not agree versus 24% who did. The other thing that seemed to be causing a lot of anxiety among graduate students is this relationship with an advisor. So this... Um, grad relationship with an advisor or a principal investigator, which is something we definitely should look at in future episodes. Oh, yeah. So for this episode, you talked with graduate students, but um, you're going to be talking with, we're going to talk, spend some time talking with faculty at different levels and such at the institution, right? Yes, yes, definitely. Future shows. Future shows. Yeah. So to set this up, I interviewed Kevin, Jeff, and Doug. They're all current graduate students. I also reached out to a colleague named Candice, who is a non-tenure track faculty. And in her interview, she reflected on her graduate experience. She also talked a little bit about what it's like to be a non-tenure track faculty, which we'll, we'll save for later episodes. And I went ahead and edited those together, so let's bump to them right now. Managing anxiety is a very important skill for a successful graduate student because the workload and psychological demands of graduate school can really spin you into dark, anxious places pretty easily. And so if you don't have a toolkit to deal with those stressors, then you're going to have a hard time. I don't think I have um, 
anxiety as badly as a lot of people do. I don't have a diagnosable condition, but I'm in academia where things are a different kind of stress. And especially as an adjunct, there's this whole new level of professional anxiety because if I want a tenure-track job and I would like to have a teaching-heavy tenure-track job, I still have to have publications. So I've had kind of low, I would call them um, low levels of anxiety for really the whole time I've been in grad school, so 2010-ish. But it definitely, you know, manifests particularly when it comes to like if I'm if I'm prepping a lecture or something that I don't feel 100% confident in the material I'll um, I'll probably fixate I think that's probably how the anxiety manifests at this level is I'll, I'll mm-hmm. fixate on things that shouldn't be taking up you know 80% of my day I should be focusing on research or reading or something for myself but I'll instead kind of focus on that so my first panic attack was uh, while driving with with my family in the car um, and so there were several months where I was not able to drive, get behind the wheel mm-hmm. at all. Um, it doesn't surprise me that it could have been a panic attack, um, but I need to talk with my doctor. I used to not deal with it very well. At the very beginning of graduate school, I would, I would drink a lot. I would spend a lot of money on food, basically look for places to quickly grab my attention to kind of displace the anxiety that I was dealing with. The way I narrated my identity before <laughs> this happened was, oh, I'm a, you know, I'm cool, I'm laid back, I'm easygoing. I uh, just completely shut down all work on my dissertation. I couldn't look at it. I went four months without opening my email. I was actually writing and sending chapters and just in the middle of the process shut down. I was, I had classes I was teaching. I um, set up my classes so my students contacted me only through Blackboard. I -hmm. told them it was because um, that way everything stayed together and didn't get lost in my email, Mm -hmm. but it was because I was afraid of reading any email um, asking me how I was doing on my dissertation. So I wasn't logging into that at all. I went four months without checking my email at all. You know, the first few months um, where I was really trying to deal with this anxiety were really horrible, horrible. I mean, they're the worst like five or six months of my life easily. I couldn't sleep. I didn't have appetite. I had been going for a very long time on kind of like a state of overdrive. I wasn't sleeping a lot. I wasn't eating well. And I was functional for a while because things were going well in my research. And the adrenaline rush and the reward that you get out of succeeding in your work is kind of fun. But at a certain point I had to do my comps and I was trying to publish a paper and I didn't take a vacation that summer and I was working probably 60 to 80 hour weeks. Like it was wake up, go to work, work until I couldn't stand anymore and then work some more and then go home, go right to sleep. So the first panic attack, uh, I was driving and I had absolutely no idea what was happening. I thought I was about to faint mm-hmm. um, because I have like low blood pressure, I'm hypoglycemic, I've, I faint sometimes, um, you know, if I'm getting blood drawn or something. I was just sure that's what was happening to me, um, which just caused the terror to yeah. go through the roof since I was driving, um, and I couldn't pull over where I was. Um, So it it actually took a couple panic attacks for me to realize that 
it was actually an anxiety thing. And yeah, at one point it all fell apart. You know, I, I got so depressed because my body was just so tired it couldn't handle it. And it was a very dark time. I, I couldn't get on my feet to do anything. And then I kind of had to start all over, right? So yeah, there was a point where it came to a head and I had to reevaluate. And I kind of looked at it and I was like, well, I'm not sleeping enough. So I guess obviously if I don't have myself in order, my work isn't going to be in order either. You know, when you're in that moment of, of anxiety, it feels like either the past or the future or both just sort of crushing on you and you just can't uh, be in the present. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think a lot of that relates to feelings of, you know, I am not good enough or I always screw up this situation or I'm not smart or um, for me, it's, you know, I'm. I'm a bad partner, I'm a bad parent, I'm a bad student, I'm a bad teacher. I don't know what brought me out. I don't remember. I just remember realizing one day that if I didn't do something, I would never do anything. And if I wanted to teach in a college setting, I wasn't I, I couldn't let this define my academic career. I've definitely struggled with severe bouts of anxiety in graduate school and at some points it can seem like nobody's on your side it can seem incredibly isolating Mm -hmm. you're in my case you know I'm in a lab I I do lab research and so I spend a lot of time by myself especially on the weekends when people are out having fun and when I'm so busy I have friends that stop inviting me out because I can't ever come out and it's made it really difficult to maintain a lot of the relationships in my life, which kind of feeds into the, the whole isolation aspect of graduate school. And One of the recurring frustrations has been, particularly in the summer months, uh, when I'm done doing my teaching in July, or when I'm done doing my teaching in June, I must just be free uh, because I don't teach yeah. again until uh, August. Mm-hmm. And so July is always this battle of what can I get done before this run, before the semester starts, uh, but if like a daycare provider takes a day off, takes a week off, it's just kind of assumed that mm-hmm. I'm available for that entire week, which is a point of anxiety. Um, yeah. Because that's, you know, something else that, that is hard to manage is where do you vent when like even your house is not like available, right? Like I'm not going to freak out in front of a three-year-old, right? Like that's, that's not <laughs> right. going to make him very happy. Parenting is my anxiety. Sometimes. Yeah. I mean, obviously grad school is too, but... I've started setting like alarms on my phone, take your medicine, that kind of stuff. Um, and then also just trying to like make time for physical activity. Mm-hmm. Uh, because I think if I can like wear myself out, I'm it, it's, it's a relaxer. But mm-hmm. that also, I mean, th- this is probably no, no uh, controversial statement to most grad students, is that those kinds of things tend to be what gets cut first. Um, I will set aside some escape time. And escape time for me is usually sitting down with a book, usually uh, sci-fi or fantasy, because sci-fi and fantasy, almost all of it is either utopian or dystopian. So that's very, very helpful when you're in that stressful place. You either need to see that everything sucks or everything can be beautiful. One of the things that is really important for me to kind of break out of that cycle was to put a lot of effort into regulating my daily routine so sleeping a normal amount every night which sounds so obvious but it really was not easy to do because 
how are you supposed to have some sort of a social life and do all the work that you're supposed to do and all of the other things that are going on and sleep enough. It's really difficult to do. Another thing I've gotten into is uh, meditation, which um, I think a lot of other PhD students out there are probably a little skeptical or, ha or have some negative <laughs> ideas about meditation. I know I did. Um, I have found that what has uh, been helpful for me is sort of more, um, and I'm not an expert on this, but it, it seems like what appeals to me is more like Zen Buddhism type, mm -hmm. type meditation. I think that anxiety is something that can be beneficial in a certain degree. Obviously, it's retained from our primitive ancestors that mm -hmm. everything was fight or flight. And I have tried very hard to get rid of anxiety, and I succeeded for a while, and then I got nothing done at work. <laughs> so if I'm not anxious, I'm not being very productive. So maybe it's helpful to actually just use that anxiety to fuel your performance, to, to worry to the point where you're not derailing yourself, but you're able to double check yourself. Am I doing everything right? I'm a little anxious that I might screw something up. Maybe just take a step back and make sure that all your ducks are in a row before you, you know, submit your publication or start your experiment that you've been trying to plan for months, you know? One thing that I wish that I had done earlier was actually reach out to people to tell them that I was struggling because I reached out to a couple people that are resources for students in my program and especially in science, you know, it, it can be difficult to reach out because everyone is so busy, everyone is isolated, everyone's miserable. I shouldn't say everyone, but a lot of people are miserable and so to come forward to someone else that's probably also miserable almost seems counterproductive, but there are people there that you should talk to and those people will kind of highlight why you don't need to be in as big of a hole as you think that you are. And so I don't think enough people reach out about it. Wow, I can relate to a lot of that, Kristen. Yeah, it's really interesting as we put out or I put out a call asking for graduate students to share their experiences about anxiety, and really only men responded, hmm. which is interesting, right? Because we know that trans students and women have the highest levels of anxiety. And I think that says a lot right there, too. We also know that women are more likely to respond to surveys. So it, you might have a, a, a sample of friends that's a little, a little tilted. Totally. <laughs> Interesting. I found it really um, eye-opening that when people were talking about their anxiety, it tended to come out at odd times. I think that was the biggest surprise to me. So it tended to come out when people were with their family or when over the summer or when people were having a good time as opposed to it's not like you're sitting down, they open the word, word file for their dissertation, and then they have a full-blown panic attack. It's when they're in their car with their family. It's when they're doing something that they've always done that they want to do. Yeah, that's definitely the case for me as well. I know um, I tend to, uh, you know, start to get the symptoms of a panic attack when I am not working, um, when I'm thinking about working. 
when I'm trying to relax, mostly I have a really hard time relaxing sometimes. And sometimes trying to, I'm, when I'm trying to relax and just not do for a second, that's when it really comes out. Yeah. Uh, I was going to say, as I'm laying in bed, trying to go to sleep. Oh, that's the worst. Yeah. The, the, the longer I spent on my dissertation, the worse my insomnia got mm-hmm. because I would sit and think about, or lay and think about, what did I need to do? What do I need to do tomorrow? What do I need to do the rest of the week? What are my deadlines? Can I get it done? What other things do I need to manage on top of that? And yeah, hopefully I'm not like, uh, you know, reviving some, some feelings of anxiety, some memories in, in either you, but that's like, that's how my brain works. You know, one thing I did to combat that is I started having an audiobook in queue all the time. And when I would wake up in the middle, because mine wasn't going to sleep. It was waking up and then not being able mm. to go back to sleep. And I don't know if this would work for anyone else, but it worked for me that I, instead of allowing myself to even get to a place where I would start to feel that anxiety rising and my blood pressure going up, my heart rate starting to go up, I would put on an audiobook and just listen to it and fall back to sleep. And that is what worked for me. Maybe it will work for other people. But so I was, still do that. So is yours in the middle of the night? Mine was in the middle of the night. I would wake up and not be able to fall to sleep until like 6 a.m. Well, but I, I had to be up at 6 a.m. I did a similar thing, uh, except instead of audiobook, I just put cartoons on my laptop and just prop my laptop open. So my brain would focus on that because it's silly and lighthearted and not, mm-hmm. you know, you know, not commanding of, of you know, the higher functions of my brain. Almost like tricking us to go back to sleep. Yeah. Yeah. Although the screen also, you know, has a counteracting effect because it's a light right mm. in your eyes. So your brain yeah. wants to stay awake. But it, it definitely did more help than harm. So my anxiety got to the point where it was upon waking. So it wasn't necessarily in the middle of the night. It was like I would wake up in a full-fledged panic. And so I had a roommate who was a psych major and really would he made me a smoothie every morning so i had something to look forward to right as i got out of bed um but it got to the point where i knew that for me i needed to seek more i needed medication for it Mm -hmm. and so i take now my anxiety med before i go to sleep so that i do not wake up in a full-fledged like i'd wake up and think all those things that you're talking about like what do i need to do today what i've got i got this i need to write this i need to do this and um yeah, one of the one of the reasons I think that uh, the academic life is especially anxiety producing is because we our work is always with us. Um, and Kevin talked a lot about being in the lab, and so he definitely had to spend you know a lot of a lot of STEM folks, a lot of people working in, um, especially with plants or other other living things like you always have to attend to them and they're always there so you always have to be like making sure that you're you're there when you need to be but for those of us whose you know whose work is is numbers or words um we're always thinking about are we doing enough we don't just knock off we don't start at nine and and knock off at five it's always there with us. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what separates academia from a lot of other professions that might also induce anxiety. Like you might get up for your nine to five job and, and think about what you need to do at that job. But then when five o'clock hits, you're gone, you're done, you're, you're out of there. And yeah. it's just not the same for us. I just wanted to make sure that I thanked Candace, 
Doug, Jeff, and Kevin for sharing their stories and being so vulnerable because I know it's not easy to talk about, especially anxiety. So I, I very much heartfelt thank them for sharing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I wonder, I wonder how much of our discussion of this is sto- has stoked any anxieties or alleviated any anxieties among the people listening. Like listening to other people's anxieties gave me a little bit of anxiety and a little bit of my chest tightening up to hear like how they how they're chests were tightening up um but it's also heartening to know that i'm not the only one that has to deal with that Mm -hmm. you're not alone yeah it made me feel better yeah interesting i've never i i have had one panic attack and it was i was actually not in graduate school i was adjuncting for three different schools uh so i did have a lot of workload but it's brought on by an overabundance of caffeine like Mm. like Mm. just not having a healthy diet a lot of what kevin said you know uh, you know, not taking care of my body then also made it so I wasn't taking care of my my mind and my emotional state. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm so thankful that they shared. And I can't wait to hear more from, as we talk to academics at different levels, this is going to be, I think, something that we all need to start listening to and hearing stories about and acknowledging that we're not really in this alone. And the statistics you read really show that it affects a, a large number of academics. So it's not something we should really be hiding behind or from anymore, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, we've talked a lot about some heavy topics uh, in this in this particular episode. So it's time for a lighthearted advertisement. Today's, today's show, our second fake sponsor, is College Sports. Hooray for our college sports teams. They are really the best in the conference and bring so much pride to our school. They were bad last year, but that was a rebuilding year. (laughs) And this year they will be good because most of the players are different. Go team. Score the goal. Win the game. College sports. So for our self-care segment this for this episode, Zach, Kristen, and I went to a cat cafe. Oh, my God. I know. It was so much fun. Uh, You guys know I'm a cat owner. I've mentioned my cat several times. Um, And so I thought this would be a great place for us to go. A new cat cafe opened up in our town. And we were really excited that this past weekend we were able to go check it out. It's what dreams are made of, you guys. didn't like you. No. That one one did not I like, like these shelves are. I guess they're for the cats. So fun. I'm convinced to get that cat to play with me. So that's my goal. I'm going to get that cat to play with me. The one that's laying down looking no. the other direction? Oh. Ah. I was going to try to get that cat to play with me, but the one that ran away from me. Okay. What kind of cat is that? Cute. A cute one? <laughs> a cute cat? I think it's a, it's a, a stripy cat with some, a white belly and white paws. And she's a little girl. Or boy. I don't know. <laughs> you're, attra- you're attracting a whole bevy of cats with the little, uh, with the little, uh, what do you call that? It's a little teaser toy. Teaser toy. A little fish. The ribbon. That one's really chill, Zach. Yeah. That one's just like I want. I want you to pet me. I don't want you to move. I just want the pet. 
It's also Russian, apparently. Apparently, even though it's not a Russian blue. No, it's not. I met the most adorable Russian blue yesterday. It was like the best day of my life. Those are yeah. great, really. Yeah. They're kind of standoffish, though, aren't they? Well, okay. It didn't really want me to pet it, but it was cute to look at. <laughs> There are many different there uses are, for cats. There are a lot of cats that are just for looking and not for playing, aren't there? Yeah, which, my, that's my cat for most people, mm-hmm. right? Except for me. I see lots of kitties. Mm-hmm. I don't think this one's asleep. Yeah, he's asleep. This one is also sweet. You guys are sweet pies. True. Yeah, sweet. Are they meeting up with a shizzer? This one's like, I love Kristen and the sunshine. Mm-hmm. He's a good mocha. He's a good mocha. Yeah. He, he is a, that's I a sweetie pie. Very sweet. Yeah, so I call, I call the cat that the sweetie pie a sweetie pie. This one's a, a good sweetie pie. Hey. 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 You'd like listen. I don't do pictures. <laughs> He's so like, look at this paparazzi. Oh, he's coming over. Buddy. Okay, I know this is a trap, but I want to do it. <laughs> like I know it's a trap, and you know it's a trap, but you want me to do it, and I want to do it. <laughs> oh, she attempts so bad. This is the funnest. I, I'm thoroughly enjoying this. I don't know about you guys. Um, these, I've experienced a lot of bad cats in my life uh, who are very, very mean and very, very standoffish. Oh, look at this. I think I would be more of a cat person if all of the cats were like these Look cats. at these faces, though. Look at this guy. He wants to love up on you, Kristen. Look, he wants to love on you, Kristen. Let me see. Can I pet? Can I hold you? Oh. Is that the policy? I don't know. I don't know. I, don't know. I think if they come onto you, you can. But this little one. This is a trap. Yes. Sunbathing. He's like, so warm. Trying to sleep. What's up with this? <laughs> you know how warm he is. This one is like. Oh, it is, yeah. This one is a summer cat. Are these cats available for adoption? Yeah, I think that's the thing. I think that's the shtick. Okay, I would, they adopt like this, to, I would adopt I this cat. I think they want you to come in and why do, they, why do cats and dogs sun themselves? Why do turtles sun themselves? So they can get tan. Because they're cold blooded. Do they need vitamin D? Why do D? humans sun themselves? So they can oh, get tan. Oh, hi! <laughs> Surprise cat! Wait till that thing jumps on your head. Okay, that one looks a little bit like Jenny. Trying to give Christian a handshake, are Here's the thing. If I could have another cat, usually this I'm, one would be this it. This one would be in the running. But I promised my old man that he can be by himself. Ooh. Ooh. Am I getting love bites? Love bites and love licks. Zach's over there playing with the cat that I really wanted to play with. I'll allow it. That one is such a nice. Like, you can bite me. Scene. I'll allow I've it. Never seen a cat before. The torty? Is it no? That that like Sammy apricot cat. She's beautiful. Oh, white cats. I love white cats. Oh, he's got little blue legs. Name that one like Pilgrim or something. Pilgrim? <laughs> yeah. Why Pilgrim? Because that's what the Duke. Oh. It's, that's uh, what the Duke John used Wayne, to say. Right? Yeah. Oh. Oh yeah. Oh, oh 
<laughs> you are looking at you, Pilgrim. Look at you, baby. That's probably not the core. Right? You're looking at you, kid, and then Pilgrim. I can I combined a couple of iconic movie quotes. You did. <laughs> and I love it. It's like hugging you. It's like you're never leaving me, mommy. It's imprinted on you. Isn't that what like as it's biting you? It's, it's sinking its claws into you because it wants to be close to you forever. It's biting you because you're so delicious. Obviously. Oh, it's a, it's a, are you a little boy? Yes. You are a little boy. You're biting my arm? That's what you're doing? That's how you're going to spend our minutes together? He's like, I just want you to be my mommy! I'm trying to... I don't know. I just want you to be my mommy. No, can't. can't. Sorry. Look at the little feet of the chairs. They are cat paws. I know, that's really sweet. So for those of you who don't know what a cat cafe is, this is how the cat cafe in our town works. Um, like I said, it's new. And so we weren't really sure what to expect. So we made a reservation ahead of time. And your your reservation comes with a, a hot cup of joe, which is really, really great. And uh, we walk in, signed a waiver, said we weren't allergic to cats. Which or I like immediately that. told everyone I was allergic to Gosh, cats. darn it, Kristen. She did. <laughs> um, and then we walked through two doors. You know, so the cats stay in the cat room to the cat cafe. And immediately my heart was like pitter pattering at all of the adorable little fuzzy fur cats. Well, they would, of course, be fur cats, but, you know, adorable fuzzy cats. All around the there space. Are, there are there are hairless cats. I know they didn't have any. They there. did not have. They did I've not always have any wanted to cats. see one. Well, maybe one day they will have one. Maybe. Well, we'll keep an eye on the website just for you. Uh, but yeah, we went to a space and it was so cat friendly. There was lots of places for them to jump and hide and sleep and play. And I was just like, I want to touch that cat and that cat, and I want to play with that one. And of course, the very first one I wanted to play with ran away. But that's fine. I got to play with a bunch of other little cats. First, I want to start with Kristen, because when we got there, Kristen was a little bit of a grumple still skin, and she clearly was not having the cat cafe, but she warmed up as soon as one of the cats pretty much claimed her as their mother. I know, of course. Well, in my defense, I had a lot going last week. This was an uncaffeinated version of myself, because I typically only drink one cup of coffee a day, so I was saving it for the cat cafe. And then I just, I'm really, cats are the number one thing I'm allergic to. And so I'm not allergic to my own cat. He's the love of my life. I felt like a cheater. (laughs) So, of course, I go in there and there's like five or six black cats, which I'm just convinced, you know, I'm going to love. And that is not what happened. No, you fell in love with this little orange Garfield, cute cat named Tofu. And if anybody knows me, they know I love naming cats food names so the fact that he's tofu was just like he was like hugging your arm it was so cute he wanted to go home with you but you said no tofu no because gonzo at home hold the tofu (laughs) hold the tofu tofu. (laughs) but i think you, you you piped up pretty quick and you were excited yeah so my cat is 13 he'll be 14 in october he has lived with many pets he's lived with different cats he's lived with different animal like dogs he's a good sport and i have told him that he will not be living with any other cat it can just he can ride into his little cat golden years unless there's like a little homeless cat that literally comes up to the door 
he can ride into his golden years a, a single free man. Zach and I are going to go get tofu and just put him outside the door. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay, well, Zach, what did you think of the cat cafe? Well, I'm not normally a cat person, as you know. I am definitely distinctly in the dog camp, um, but I think I would be more of a cat person if all cats were like the cats in the cat cafe. They were very sweet. um, Yeah, they were very sweet. They were very friendly, very well acclimated to humans. Um, The uh, the latte I had was really good. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I was surprised, like I am allergic to cats, I have uh, I never owned a cat, but I've dated people who have cats and, you know, being over at their places, I always feel allergic. And so I was really surprised that that didn't really, you know, affect my experience in the cat cafe. They keep it really nice and clean and, and well, well swept. So uh, they did everything right to make me like cats and it worked. Yay. I sneezed like 27 times the second we got out of there, though. <laughs> Well, I was so happy for the rest of the day. I have to, I have to say, like, I, I felt like it was a, a great, great day. I was very happy. I felt good that Tofu sibling Tempe was getting adopted Aww, as we were leaving. Tempe, she was such a pretty little girl. We know that Zach may have been converted and that Kristen turned that frown upside down. Um, <laughs> I want to know what you guys would rate it. So a 10 out of 10, I would recommend I would I'm I'm comfortable saying ten out of ten. I would totally go again. In fact, I am going again for a book club of at course, the Cat Cafe. Of course. And I'm so excited. Also ten out of ten for what it is. Like I think it's a great experience, uh if you know what you're getting into. So if you don't like cats, it's a one out of ten or a zero out of ten. But I don't I don't dislike cats. They're I just am totally a dog person. I I think that that is the best experience that I could have had. For what it was. Okay, good. I mean, 10 out of 10, I like love cats. It's like a cat is the love of my life right now. So, of course. Sorry, my dog, but my cat is like Well, there you have it, folks. 10 out of 10s all around. You guys might have to go check out your local cat cafes. Yeah, they're popping up everywhere. It's really great. I'm excited. Hey, guys, that was our show. Thanks for listening. We would love to hear from you. So like I said earlier, reach out to us on social media, post comments, post questions. If you have any ideas, let us know. We'd love to hear from you. And until next time, keep on surviving.